J-Cut, and this is The K-Cut, the podcast where we talk cinema. Welcome to the show. My name is James Bunn. I'm a content creator from Michigan. I produce music under the alias Boutique Paul, and I'm also one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. I'm Rachel. I have a degree in film preservation. I've worked with film in Canada and in Sweden. This is Andreas. I currently write and make content for Films Fatale. And I also have a degree in film preservation and collections management, uh, although I'm not doing that full time. So let's get into it, shall we? What's on the docket today? Well, we're going to talk about unconventional Christmas movies. So we always hear about It's a Wonderful Life. We hear about Elf, all of those movies that come up every year on the same TV channels. But we want to dive a little deeper and go into some of the movies that might not come up every year. Andreas, did you have a pick for this week? I sure did. Now, I believe what my train of thought was, was, um, you know, you brought up It's a Wonderful Life, you brought up Elf, but, you know, Die Hard has also become a part of that discussion because it's the whole idea of, is it a Christmas film, is it not? I've written about this on Phillips Patel, uh, in short, because I don't want to be seen clickbaity. Yes, it is. If Home Alone's a Christmas film, so is this. But, you know, in that same train of thought, a lot of people have adopted films that might not necessarily be explicitly holiday themed and associated them with the holidays because of maybe a scene or two or an overall theme. So my younger one, I have, uh, I have two picks. Uh, my younger pick when I was a teenager was actually Edward Scissorhands by Tim Burton because that film does take place heavily during Christmas, like actual Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Uh, or I believe it's just. I think mean, you're right. Yeah, and you know, there's the setting up of the house, the fact that the 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 host family, um, you know, Alan Arkin, Diane Weist went on a rider. I don't remember the family name. Uh, they always have people over, and you have the the overly religious lady. You have uh, you know the the, the theme of the neighborhood uh, getting ready for the holidays, and basically the fact that I don't want to spoil if you haven't seen the film because it's pretty magical in the first watch. It's somebody's explanation for why it snows to a young child. That's basically what the film is. It's like an adult fairy tale. So to me growing up, that was heavily the film that I would go to as my Christmas film, especially because I was turned off. You know, I was a, a satanic metal listening teenager who also was verging into goth music, like, you know, Bauhaus and, uh, you know, early the cure. So I, I had a phase and I certainly was going against the grain. So um, this kind of spoke to me as a holiday film. But now that I'm older and more accepting of a lot of things, it's weird because I feel like I'm kind of heading into the opposite direction. I love It's a Wonderful Life. I really like Elf. But my unconventional pick now, and this is one that I've seen a lot more people bring up, is a lot more screwed up. It's uh, Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut, where you have... Um, instead of a family that that brings in this this uh you know this this different kind of person in edward scissorhands and it shakes up the neighborhood and the holiday season it's a family which you basically could feel like is on the verge of breaking because of um hidden agendas and uh, self uh, self-preserved uh, uh, perversions especially in the tom cruise character it's happening around the holiday season i believe there's like christmas parties and stuff and then he gets brought into this Rothschild type of world where he sees a different type of giving or, um, you know, uh, celebration in the form of a huge, massive party of sorts, wink. And if you believe in a lot of the discussions about the film, a lot more, which, uh, you know, obviously these weren't in the final film, 
we'll never know if they were supposed to be because Kubrick died during post-production. But the idea of uh, sacrificial um, beings and whatnot. So it gets really, really demented. And, you know, the, the whole resolution of I was so wrong, you know, this this world of comfort, I should have accepted what I had instead of, you know, peering into the unknown. And in a weird sense, that does embody a lot of the, the Christmas philosophies where it's like, why do people try to kind of break against the, the blueprints? A lot of this is just kind of unwinding. You've had a big, long year. Just accept this little season, whatever holiday you might celebrate, as what it is. And you turn off your mind, you turn off your expectations, and you just enjoy it because it's it's full of happiness, it's full of cheer, you're with loved ones. And it's kind of like, what if we steer away from that almost in Eyes Wide Shut? And I've heard people bring up this uh, unconventional Christmas film. So first off, do either of you think that these are suitable for the holiday season? Edward Scissorhands and Eyes Wide Shut. I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut yet. Well, when I watched them with my grandma... Probably not. Maybe Edward, but not the second one. But for <laughs> the holiday don't. season, I think anybody and any film is suitable if you want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> don't watch that. I'd say Edward Scissorhands works. I mean, yeah, that's totally a holiday movie. I mean, I honestly kind of want to watch that now during the holidays. I'm going to make that a tradition. Watch Edward Scissorhands and Die Hard. Make it a double feature. <laughs> I mean, don't forget Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is released at Christmas and takes place then and it's straight up violence all over the place. That's also true, but does it contain the holiday spirit? Then again, like I have with these other films, I'm sure you could attach holiday spirit to it. Fair enough. I've never heard that take on Eyes Wide Shut. I still have to watch it. I've been meaning to, but I think just the length of time, the runtime is kind of like, man, I don't really have that much time to sit and watch a movie these days. Eyes Wide Shut's interesting. And you have to commit to spending that much time with Tom Cruise. I mean, oh, good Tom Cruise. I mean, Nicole Kidman was married to the dude, that. so. Yeah, that's true. Can't uh, be that bad. Eyes Wide Shut's interesting because when it first came out, like every other Kubrick film, it was kind of received kind of lukewarmly, kind of eh, but now it's being seen as like this big thing. But the main difference is Eyes Wide Shut was released during the dawn of the internet age when we finally got like Rotten Tomatoes reviews and stuff. So uh, I feel like. It's researchable analysis to on like the surface level is a little bit misleading because it's it, like every other Kubrick film, like 10 years, 20 years after release, it's certainly beloved. A lot of people consider it one of his best. So if you're a Kubrick fan, you should absolutely check it out, James. Oh, yeah, I definitely plan on it. I mean, I love Kubrick. Well, it's also that came out in 1999, which is that kind of weird, you know, it's written that that's the greatest year of film of all time, which I don't necessarily agree with. I mean, I understand the sentiment, but like it's a you look at the kind of movies that came out that year, it's like, wow, this this was thrown like this came out the same year as The Matrix. This this was definitely an interesting year for movies. Nineteen ninety nine also kind of caught a particular mood. I think we were on the uptick, but the bubble was about to burst in terms of optimism. And I I think at that point we were just starting to see the decay of the nineties. Yeah, and we were also like looking into the next millennium where a lot of a lot of things were a little bit more forward thinking, a lot of things were a little bit more cynical, whether it's the matrix and this idea that uh you know, there's not going to be a, a lot of freedom in the technological age or American Beauty where it's like you know, this anti-capitalist stance via existentialism. So yeah, there were certainly a lot of things that got creative minds flowing at that point. I don't know if I agree that it's 
the greatest year in film. I've heard of a lot, but I'm sure it's a strong contender. But that's not this episode. This episode is what's a strong contender for a great unconventional Christmas film. James, what's your pick? My pick is a movie called Happy Christmas. Okay. It's it's unconventional, but it has Christmas in the title. It's actually a Joe Swanberg film. Mm-hmm. And for those who know Joe Swanberg films, his films aren't conventional. But it's kind of this story. It's this family. Joe Swanberg is actually one of the leads. He plays, uh, I forgot the dude's name, but it's him and his wife and their young son and his younger sister moves in. And it's kind of that classic story where his younger sister is just kind of a train wreck. You know, the, you know, girl in her twenties who just, you know, makes all these bad decisions and she impacts her lives in interesting ways. One of them being, she's just awful. Sometimes like there was one time she was drunk and fell asleep with a pizza in the oven and almost burns the house down. But then she also kind of inspires her sister-in-law to go through with, I believe she wants to write a, an erotic novel and kind of like helps motivate her along that. And uh, it was kind of inspired. uh, I was reading an interview with him. He said it was inspired by the situation that he had been in where he was making a little bit more money than his wife. So she decided to stay home. But before that, they were both, you know, they're they're both filmmakers. They were both artists kind of like doing whatever kinds of work they can do. Now they just kind of like were put in this situation where it's way more domesticated. And, you know, she was having a hard time because she's used to being this independent kind of entrepreneurial person. And now she's a stay at home mom. And that kind of, you know, reflects in the story with the wife in the story. But he said that uh, it was more so circumstance. He kind of made it a Christmas movie because that wasn't his intention. It just happened to take place in December. And, you know, obviously holidays are happening. So he just kind of throws that in there. But he also explained that it kind of represents a lot of the certain heightened senses of Christmas time, like, you know, family and togetherness, whether that's good or bad. Cause it's kind of the situation where it's like, Oh, family's all together. But you know, you kind of just have to accept that it's family regardless of what's going on. And, you know, it, it has a lot of the typical things that were of his movies at the time. Like I think he, with this, a lot of his movies, everything's entirely improvised. Like he doesn't write screenplays. I think he's done some maybe in the past couple of years. But like there was a film that he did with Jake Johnson that I think they might have written down first, but who knows? But it was also an interesting shift because he coming from a long line of like digital filmmaking, he shot this on 16 millimeter and was improvising it, which is definitely very interesting because, you know, (laughs) yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, man, good for you for risky. And he pulled it off, too. But yeah, it's just, you know, it's not a traditional Christmas film, but it has a lot of the things that you know, you feel at Christmas time, good or bad. Also, it's like Anna Kendrick, I think is a great actress and she just, she played the role perfectly. I mean, if you need someone to play like a girl who's a train wreck in her twenties, just hit her up. She's perfect for it. Very yeah, true. I, I have not seen this film. Rachel, have you? No, I haven't, but I love Anna Kendrick. So I would, I would definitely watch it. It also stars Especially Lena like- Dunham in a small role. I mean, not, not know how you guys feel about her. Right? It, Cause I, it, it's kind of like a back and forth on people liking her and hating her. But, right. you know, she doesn't do any harm in this movie. But both of them are like pre-fame. So pre-girls, pre-up in the air and Twilight. So, I mean, that, it would be interesting to see them. Like, no, this was actually 2014. So this was like... Oh, what? Well, 2004. My bad. 
Oh, it's like what? Well, after that, yeah, it's no, this, yeah, this is after like they're famous. It's just they just happened to <laughs> star in this movie. Well, this is also after Joe Swanberg had started getting bigger people for his movies because I think up until then he was working with a lot of people who are now more relevant, like you know Greta Gerwig, Amy Simons, you know, just a lot of people around that, or or like you know all those directors that he would would star in his movies, like Ty West and Adam Wingard. But I think with uh, it, there was a shift when he made his previous film Drinking Buddies because that starred Jake Johnson and Olivia Wilde. Oh, I know that one actually. Yeah, he he kind of went from like oh like super indie to like oh here's you know superstars are now in my movies. It, it's really interesting to see a Christmas movie that isn't quite a Christmas movie, but you you just know there's something Christmas about it, and I think that's what I like about it. It's you know there's something from Christmas you can pull. Holidays aren't an easy time, and I think that's a good theme that runs through it too is. Yeah, it's the holidays, but it's it's not always cheerful. Right. Interesting. It's kind of building on what Andrea said. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I feel like a lot of these films aren't perceived as holiday films because they're not the archetypical idea of what a lot of people associate with holiday films. So it's, you know, it's the same thing with like, you know, the separation of faith-based films and religious films where it's like The Last Temptation of Christ is a deviation of what I've read into scripture. So therefore this cannot be a religious film, but it's religious to Paul Schrader and it's religious to, um, to Scorsese. So it can be a little interesting, but before we go down that different road, we're still on topic of holiday based films. So Rachel, since this was your idea, I'm dying to know what the inspiration was for you to come up with this question. So what is yours? Okay, I'm going to take a slightly different tactic from you guys. It This movie is a traditional holiday movie in the sense that it's sort of a feel-good comedy. It's actually a musical. Okay. But it's very much a product of its time and place in a way that many movies just are not. Um, it's called Ironia Sudbi, or in English, The Irony of Fate. Have either of you seen it? I don't know. I'm looking it up have right not. now. No, I have certainly not seen this. <laughs> It is from the mid-70s, and it is a Soviet rom-com. It was technically a television movie, but it aired in cinemas in Moscow and the rest of Russia in the 70s, and it won film awards, so I'm going to count it. And the entire premise of the film hinges on a joke that could only work during a very specific era in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. The movie does a good job of explaining it in a way that makes it accessible to people who aren't familiar with the Soviet situation, but you know that the premise only hinges on this particular era. So it really is a look in a sort of stylized movie way at ordinary life in in Moscow and Leningrad at the time. And it's a very charming comedy. Um, it's still quite beloved. It's the equivalent of It's a Wonderful Life in Russia to this day. And New Year's is the sort of presents and dinner holiday in Russia, not Christmas. And so it is very traditional to watch watch it around New Year's every year. And it's a staple of college Russian classes, which is where I saw it. It's super charming, super cute. And the actors do a great job of pulling it off. And it really is quite a clever premise, but I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. Yeah. Now that you've like mentioned a lot behind it, especially the, uh, the annual celebration of watching it. And I've like looked it up again i have certainly heard of this actually when i was doing my 70s research for the the best films of the decade i did come across this but i felt like i just didn't have time given what i had on my plate and uh you know i was like okay maybe i don't have time for this three hour thing but one day i'll get back to it 
I'm very, very glad that you brought it back onto my radar because I'm going to be free to watch whatever I want very soon in like a month or two. And this is one that sounds really, really good. And it was something that was placed on my desk. And I was like, I, if I had the time, because the 70s are really rough. So this could be one that missed my list because I've heard really good things about this. Just be prepared to have the music stuck in your head for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, Chugging Express is one of my favorite films. So I'm already I'm already cursed with that. So we're good. I kind of like how how you explain it. It's like almost like it's you have to be kind of in on the joke because it describes like a certain situation, a certain time for a certain area. It kind of reminds me of how um, the Outcast song Players Ball is actually a Christmas song, but it's just how they celebrate Christmas in Atlanta, which is very different than everywhere else that doesn't get snow. Ah. But it's special because in a way it's enlightening to other people about like, you know, like what the crooks of this time of year or any philosophy is to a specific group of people, whether it's like, you know, an entire culture that you're unfamiliar with or just you and your buddies, like if it was like the Dungeon Family crew with Outcast and like just them, yeah, you might be a little bit out of it, but that's part of the fun with this type of stuff where it is like a fish out of water experience for you. And sometimes not everything is made for you. So I do like that. I do like being the outlier of this type of scenario. And maybe that's why, whether it's, um, you know, your choice, Rachel, or any of these other choices that we are personally drawn to, these types of loosely based holiday films, uh, whether they're uh, more direct like yours or a lot less like Eyes Wide Shut. So, um, honestly, I think I think the world could do with some more like hybrid holiday films, like how A Nightmare Before Christmas can go for Halloween or Christmas. Sure. Like, why don't we do that? Like hybrid. Like let's do like an Easter slash Hanukkah movie. Okay. Uh, who's in it? Bit of incompatible there. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's also that would true. Be, that's why it's fun. <laughs> but okay so how would this work is at least october and december are very close to one another well then again april kind of the opposite direction so how who would be making this thing if it's if it's hanukkah and and what was it easter the guys from south park oh trey parker and matt stone okay yeah, yeah. absolutely they would be perfect for it that would be perfect because Matt is actually Jewish and uh, Trey is actually Christian. I don't know if Matt's a believer in Judaism, but uh, Trey himself is actually religious from what I know, despite all of the jokes on the show. So, Oh, really? I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah. I don't- and on South Park, they had the super best friends and they also had Jesus versus Santa and all this stuff. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the super best friends. They certainly can't get away with that now, especially with the depiction of Muhammad. But let's uh, let's, yeah. let's leave it there. Uh, but This could also be a musical because those guys are actually very gifted when it comes to like composing musical type stuff. That's true, because uh, Trey Parker secretly, he's a, he's a Broadway fan. That's why. Yeah, you can hear the influence and everything they write. Have like, you guys seen Cannibal the Musical? Influence. I'm aware of it. I haven't seen it. It's wild. It's a parody of Oklahoma. Well, that's Trey Parker. Yeah. There's a lot of musical references to Oklahoma, but it's also like a no budget film that they raise money for themselves. It was the first film they did. And Lloyd Kaufman released it on Troma, like back in 93. Yeah. I think they'd be perfect. You know, Hanukkah Easter movie. In hindsight, I didn't realize how controversial that would sound out loud. <laughs> well, and, and t- until it was kind of like the responses I said, I was like, "Oh wait, that would actually be kind of a wild concept." But that's like us talking. Imagine their pitch. Okay, so uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone making this thing—that's perfect. Let's think of 
a basic premise and a cast. So why Easter and, and Hanukkah without being sacrilegious in any way? That's impossible. I know, but let, 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 let us try our best, especially with who we have uh, hypothetically hired. So <laughs> Trey Parker and Matt Stone. So this is going to be live action, I'm assuming. Um, and we have the eight day. How many days is it in Hanukkah? Ignore a question. It's eight. eight. It's eight, right? Okay. So the the eight days that just keep repeating, like a like a Groundhog Day type thing, except for eight, and it keeps going until we're oh, bringing a third. What's that? Holiday in there. What's that? We're bringing a third holiday. In there. <laughs> That's Actually, perfect. Really. But um, well, technically, we do have to cra- cross past uh, Groundhog Day, so uh, it's the eight days that keep repeating until they land on Easter, and it's like, oh my goodness, uh, what is the significance of this? And obviously, for the listeners, I don't want to spoil this uh, this non-existent film. Basically, I don't really know what the significance is, but uh, I'm pretending I'm not spoiling. Does anyone have any reason why it would end on Easter in terms of some pseudo spiritual philosophical significance? Because I don't. Not not gonna lie, this concept instantly made me think controversial. Like make the crucifixion, but make it fun. But I know oh, that's just a oh, bad idea, like Monty Python style. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I was picturing Easter Bunny horror movie, but that's just me. Oh, oh. that would be amazing. <laughs> okay, okay, Easter Bunny uh, horror movie. Okay, uh, lead us in that direction. What would happen? So the Easter Bunny is like it's like a quiet place, and he's stalking the whole neighborhood. <laughs> During during this repetitive Hanukkah, a plucky group of teenagers goes and decides to defeat the Easter Bunny once and for all. And all the teenagers are voiced by Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Do they only get new weapons and stuff each day of the calendar? Where it's like the second day, now they've got like katanas or something. Like they've been bestowed these, these godly gifts to defeat this Easter Bunny. I guess... I try to make the the Hanukkah theme kind of like pop a little bit more, but I, I also don't know a hell of a lot about Hanukkah, so that's part of the problem. So, see, now I'm starting to think. Now that you gave that idea, why not mix Hanukkah and Halloween? But it's a murderous humanoid black cat. But obviously, it has nine lives. But you have to kill <laughs> kill the cat nine times within it the eight days. You because it's got eight days and nine lives. <laughs> Oh my god, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh <Okay>. man. <laughs> to any listeners, this is this is literally what the boardroom and a writing session sounds like. This is this is what it sounds like. This is what a writer's room's like. Throw out a bunch of bad Who's ideas. Who's got Trey Parker and Matt Stone's contact info? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I guess to uh, the betterment of everyone, luckily not us, because otherwise they, we'd be selling this garbage idea. But anyway, no, we'd have to give it to the guys who do the Story Break podcast. Okay, it's three of the people who do uh, the podcast Dungeons and Daddies. They do this podcast. In each episode, they come up with a film pitch for just whatever random concept. Like they did, um, they came up with an idea for a Jar Jar Binks movie, and it. I almost wish it was made because it would have totally redeemed his character. They also did um, Kellogg's Cinematic Universe. It was going to be like a film universe based on the Kellogg serials. They also did like Monopoly. They act like a writer's room. They just come up with this pitch throughout the entire episode, like from like start to finish. You know, like the, the way they pitched this movie, if I remember correctly, I think they had written it to where he was actually, um, he encounters the rebellion and they actually task him with the getting the plans for the death star. And then there's a, 
I think they said it's going to end with he actually encounters Darth Vader. And I forgot he ends up getting a lightsaber and he's like actually, you know, kind of points it at him like he's going to challenge him. And, you know, the part of him that's still kind of Anakin wants him to go like, hey, I'm going to give you an out leave because it's like this was his childhood friend. And then he ends up killing him in the end. And that's where he actually officially goes to the dark side completely because he literally kills off his entire past. Now, that is an unconventional Christmas movie, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which, Star Wars is maybe the king of unconventional Christmas movies. That's true. Why don't we wrap up on that? Who here has seen the god-awful holiday special? I haven't. I've repressed that memory. What's funny is you mentioned that, and not too long after, I happened to open up Facebook Marketplace, and someone was selling the DVD of that movie. For how much? <laughs> I don't remember. Why? It wasn't much. I, I wouldn't pay five cents. I'm serious. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like five dollars. It's one of the worst freaking films I've ever seen. Rachel, do you agree with me, please? Yes, I don't speak fluent Wookiee, so I I could not enjoy it on a on that level. Uh, well, but even if you could, like the that. It's like some of the worst songs I've ever heard. It's not even Jefferson Airplane. It's Starship when they were like atrocious. So like there, that's awful. The B. Arthur songs irritating. Oh uh, God. Like every song is just awful. And like some of the worst um, of its time, I would argue like completely like synthetic and just uh, uh, beyond a bore. I don't think there's a single redeeming thing of that entire film except for um oh my god i don't remember the actor's name uh he played multiple characters and he uh uh i don't remember harvey corman maybe uh, i i think uh i'll have to look this up it's the <laughs> there's only one part that's so bad that it's hilarious it's uh when uh I, I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. The stormtroopers are at the house, kind of like inspecting everything. And he's trying to call it the mom Wookiee into the kitchen to be like, all right, let's just move over here so we can talk. And she does it. And he's like, damn it, won't you come over here and help me? <laughs> and just, he just like, starts screaming at her. It's, oh, it's so bad. Uh, I'm going to show it to my little cousins and tell them it was the Empire Strikes Back. Oh, man. Oh, no. <laughs> Aren't they doing a Lego Star Wars Christmas special or something like that yeah so which i hope has yeah and i actually have good hopes for that because the lego animated movies have turned out to be quite good the lego batman movie is actually really good mm-hmm. but if i had to say like star wars christmas special they should just they should have just given it to robot chicken well this was I mean, like back in the 70s no no i'm saying for a new one. Oh, for a new one yes well yeah a new one, they should just give it to robot chicken guys like seth green would have a field day with that and it would be amazing oh yeah no i i fully agree but uh, I guess we've ended on the most uh, unconventional Christmas film of them all. Uh, now it is time for our weekly picks. Uh, Rachel, do you have a film that you would like to recommend to people? It could be Christmas themed or not. And uh, just anything that you feel like. Sure. So there's one that came out a few years ago, not holiday themed, but a nice pick me up cheerful movie for any time of the year. It's called Pride, and it was a very surprise nominee for Best Picture at the Golden Globes. It's a British movie about the 1984 miners' strike, and it's about an LGBT group who comes up from London to this tiny little Welsh village to support the strike. And so it's this meeting of two worlds, and 
there's some really memorable characters in it and some really beautiful moments. You've got Imelda Staunton, Bill Nye, and just this incredible team of actors. Highly recommend it. I've never even heard of this. And you said it was nominated for Best Picture at the Golden Globes. That's that's amazing. Yes, I believe so. And it was a shock at the time. Wow. Yeah, no, I, yeah, nominated for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. I did not know that. That's really cool. Go watch it, Andreas. <laughs> I shall. James, what is your random pick of the week? I'm just going to go really random and say RoboCop. Okay. Uh, do tell why. Just because I love, I just love the movie. It's just one of those movies where everything was very well done. Fair enough. It has a certain quality that a lot of movies don't have nowadays, especially like, you know, they did that remake, which I refuse to see because they just turned into an action movie because there's so much with the satire in the movie that is just brilliant. Like those random news spots and TV commercials that they would throw in of just all this really random dystopian stuff. Also, the fact that the Robocop costume is still one of the best design costumes in history, at least in my opinion. And it's also one of those movies that just works in uh, Paul Verhoeven style because he 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 has a very distinct style and it shows especially when it comes to the action and things like the scene where they're you know just shooting him to pieces and how that plays out <laughs> visually is just so over the top and bizarre it's just like okay what's going on here fair enough I think that's a solid pick my own pick uh, I'm gonna go a little bit uh I'm going to follow Rachel's lead here with something that's a little bit underrated or underseen. I wouldn't call it a guilty pleasure, but I'm probably one of the very few people who actually outwardly likes Blue Sky by Tony Richardson, uh, the one that won Jessica Lange for her best actress win. Um, It's, I I think it's actually a pretty good film that not enough people have seen. And I think it's got a really interesting take on mental illness particularly with Jessica Lange back when she was at her peak, you know, in the 80s and the 90s. You know, you've got a, a great supporting role with Tommy Lee Jones. I love the visual style of the film. I think the score is a little underrated. I think it's an interesting picture because it was meant to be released in the early 90s and Orion Pictures filed bankruptcy, so it was shelved. And they didn't know how to promote this thing like four or five years later. They didn't know how to like sell this thing. It oddly enough still won Best Actress uh, for for Jessica Lange, or rather she won Best Actress. But, you know, I remember watching the trailer for this thing and it really skews what the picture's about entirely. And it just went under everyone's radar outside of the award season and it continued to go under people's radars for forever. So that's my pitch, Blue Sky. Outside of that, I'm Andreas, uh, obviously joined by Rachel and James. We thank you for listening. And that was the K-Cut. Now we will leak into the L-Cut. <laughs>